Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by Hunter Hubbard, who is the head coach at Southern Wesleyan University, a Division II school in Central South Carolina. That's the name of a town that's not the uh, geographic area of South Carolina. They're in Central South Carolina, which is just down the street from Clemson. Uh, Coach Hubbard played collegiately at USC Aiken, a Division II school in Aiken, South Carolina. He graduated from there in 2017. He spent the 2018 through 2020 seasons as the as an assistant coach at East Georgia State College, a junior college program in Swainsboro, Georgia. His 2018 team won 32 games, which was a school record. His 2019 team bested the 2018 team by setting a new school record by winning 34 games. Then in 2020, his team ranked ninth in all of junior college Division One junior college baseball in strikeouts per nine. In his uh, in his time at East Georgia State College, he helped eight players move on from junior college to the Division I level, and he also recruited what was named the fourth best junior college recruiting class in the country per perfect game in his 2020 recruiting class. He then moved on to Southern Wesleyan, where he spent the 2021 season as the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator, and then on September 10th of 2021, he made the unofficial announcement on Twitter that he was promoted to be the head coach at Southern Wesleyan. Coach Hubbard, I certainly appreciate your time uh, joining us on the podcast today. Yes, sir, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So typically, Hunter, I, I like to start with something from the bio that stands out, but in your case, I'm going to do something a little bit different just because of how you and I sort of first connected. Um, you know, a lot of our podcast guests are people that I follow or just see something that they post on social media that I think is interesting and we interact a little bit and I end up asking the coach or, or whoever it is a player if they want to join me on a podcast and that's kind of how you and I started and uh, or, or at least uh, you know started to communicate with each other and, and in our first conversation Hunter I was just a little bit struck by your willingness to uh, to say things that might not be like really popular on social media to say things that are that are truthful but that a lot of coaches won't get into or don't want to say for one reason or another and you don't seem to have that that filter for you it, it seems to be you know like if something if you think there's something that kids need to hear you're going to post it and you're not going to worry about the number of likes that you're getting or how popular you are on social media it's more for you just about wanting to kind of put stuff out there that you you think kids need to hear and i'm just i'm kind of curious about that about how that's gone for you and and why you've decided to take that stance on twitter as opposed to you know trying to uh you know, to gain a bunch of followers and, and uh, maybe become, you know, uh, I guess someone who's 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 got a really popular uh, account on, on Twitter or, or Instagram or wherever else. Just kind of curious why that's the personality that you've decided to take on on Twitter. Yeah, man. You know, honestly, uh, regarding my tweets, um, I kind of say, you know, what I'm thinking at the time. Um whether people agree or disagree with me, you know, there's usually a little backlash from a, a burner account with maybe two followers. Um, but I believe there's some um, misconstruction when people think college baseball. Um, you know, people think college baseball um, is, hey, it's, they think it's college football. They think it's what they see when ESPNU has a full a full day in November of kids committing and all that. That's not what college baseball is. It's not what college baseball recruiting is. 
Um, so yeah, you know, I thought I would have to, you know, I, when, when I do think of those things that need to be said, you know, I kind of put them out there not to kind of bash anybody or belittle anybody, but just so people actually really see what college baseball is like, um, you know, cause like I said, I think there's a big misconception, um, when it does come to college baseball when you know, that could be from people that think they know college baseball or think they can coach college baseball. Um, so I think it needs to be said. What are some differences between college baseball and, you know, some of the other major sports? Obviously, baseball in the professional side of things is thought to be, you know, one of the big three sports with basketball and football. But in college, you know, college baseball is not quite as popular. And, and I think uh, it's – I think most people agree that that's just because of the weather, frankly, that uh, that baseball has to deal with in college. And it's it's hard for fans to come out, especially early in the season. And, and in northern climates, even later in the season, it's not always great baseball weather to go see teams. But, you know, besides uh, – you know, can you tell us the difference – some of the differences that you see in between college football and college baseball, like some of the things that you like to tweet about or kind of tell people, like this is, this is a big difference that you need to know about. What are some things, Hunter, that people don't know about? Honestly, it's got to be the facilities, the budgets. Um, you know, I when I was at East Georgia, you know, we were recruiting a kid um, that had some power five looks. And, you know, they come to small town Swainsboro, Georgia, where um, the weight room is can probably hold 12, 13 people at a time. And they said, Coach, if you don't mind us asking, you know, where's the uh, – the nutrition room, you know, where's the smoothie makers? And I, you know, <laughs> you, you, know you, you kind of laugh and you said, this, this isn't, you know, a power five, you know, this is junior college baseball. You know, you, you grind it out junior college baseball. Um, and that's the same thing with, with division two compared to, you know, some division ones. Now, um, you know, cause what you see on Twitter and Instagram is all these big power five schools that are flashy and, I would love to have the facilities, um, the assistance, um, all the programs that a bunch of these schools have, but you don't you don't see that at the Division Two, II, Division Three, or the JUCO levels. Um, and the schools that do have that are, I mean, extremely blessed to have that, and that's why their development is so good. But I think it's from you know high school kids and obviously high school parents, all they see is, hey, for instance, Texas has this, this, and this. Well, I would imagine the D2s and the D3s in Texas may not have that. Um, so, But that, that's not saying that the Division twos in Texas can't play you know, with the Division ones. There's good baseball at all levels. Um, but well, I, what I will say is the facilities may not be the same. The part about there being good baseball at all levels is something that I – don't know that enough people really give credit to in, in baseball. The the difference in facilities from the upper echelon, it even at every level. You know, at Division One, you can take a Power Five and put it next to a small Division One and see enormous differences. And it's the same with Division Two. You know, junior college, there are you know, there's the upper echelon at every level that have that have way better facilities than other, than other people. But, you know, I think there's really good levels of baseball everywhere, and I think that, uh, you know, it's much more about the coaches developing the players than it is, like, facilities on their own don't develop players. I think that the, it's, you know, the, it's the coaches, and it's 
it's the plan and it's um you know what what the players doing day to day that's really going to develop the guys in the long run now if you get a guy like that hunter whether you're at east georgia or uh east georgia state college or whether you're at southern wesleyan if you get a kid to visit that has visited a school with you know with some really big time facilities whether it's a power five or whether it's just a you know a mid-major division one with great facilities or even a division two that has quote-unquote division one type facilities uh, you know what what are some of the talking points that you have with a player like that just to to help them see what i believe is a reality that you've got to look past that to see whether or not you're going to have a good experience at the college that you're going to end up going to yeah, and I mean, honestly, you know, I'll, I'll tell my players and I tell, you know, coaches also that my best tool, I think, as a college baseball coach is my ability to recruit and also, you know, sell my program. So, you know, with us being a Division II school, um, we're trying to, you know, to sign those guys that are Division One players, but the Division One schools are kind of iffy on them, but, you know, we're all in on them. All right, so we've got a kid coming here Sunday who's, you know, talking to a few um, Division One mid-majors. Um, but when he does come here this Sunday, you know, my job is to sell him on our program. I'm not going to bash anybody else's program, but I'm going to sell him, hey, I know we may not have, you know, the facilities that some of these mid-majors have, but I can promise you you'll have the development here that – you're, you know, it's going to be unmatched. You know, I tell kids, hey, are you committing to a school or are you committing to a coach? Because if you don't buy into what that coach is telling you your first year, um, you're not going to have a great experience. And, and honestly, it only takes, you know, one year of uh, a bad experience at the college level to make you kind of wonder, hey, do I really want to play college baseball? You know, baseball is so mental. And I'm also a big, you know, I'm not going to use the word, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an ego guy, but I do, I do not forget things when it comes to, uh, you know, a recruit that says, Hey coach, um, thank you for everything, but I'm going to commit here. Well, two years down the road, if you've had a bad experience at that school that you committed to and you hit us up, um, the same offer is probably not going to be there as it was you know, two years ago. Um, now, I, I can't say the same for other coaches. You know, I don't know how they how they view that. Um, but, yeah, man, you know, when I recruit guys, um, you, you really have to sell your program, and you really have to, you know, ask, ask the kid, hey, do you want to be a Division One player just to say that you're a Division One player? Do you care at all if you play at all in four years? Or do you want to come in here right away and be an impact guy and really enjoy those four years? Because whether you're at a Division One, D2, D3, junior college, NAIA, um, if you have aspirations of playing pro ball, you got to play at the college level. And by play at the college level, I don't just mean, hey, I got 32 at-bats, you know, my freshman year. Um, you're going to have to do – um, have some games played and have some numbers put up to even think about playing at the pro level. You mentioned something that I, I'd like to just discuss a little bit. You know, you never know exactly who's going to listen to these podcasts, but I think that a lot of people listen to the podcasts that are one way or another either involved in the recruiting process now or will be, whether they're coaches, 
uh, whether they're high school coaches that are trying to guide their own players or, or maybe it's even high school players or parents listening to this. And I want to talk a little bit about the negative recruiting. Um, you said that you won't you won't say anything bad about other programs, which I would just, you know, I, I don't know if you use that term or not, but I would term it negative recruiting. It's something I think every coach deals with, and it's something that, uh, you know, when you're a college coach, you, you know that there are certain programs that are bad-mouthing your program. And maybe sometimes what the other coaches are saying – Maybe it's something that is true, but the way they're saying it, they're making it seem like a really bad thing. Or maybe they're just saying things that flat out aren't true about you, but they're they're saying whatever they can to try to sign guys and hoping you don't find out about it. Um, can you just tell people that are listening to this that maybe don't have a lot of experience with it, you know, what what it means for you to to hear negative recruiting and uh, and just how you handle that as a coach? Like, say a player comes to you and says, Coach Hubbard, I just visited this school last week and they had this to say about you. Is that true? I uh, just w- w- want to see if you wouldn't mind spending a few minutes talking about negative recruiting, why you don't do it, and how you handle it when it happens to you. Yeah, man. Um, you know, negative recruiting is just something I won't do. Um, but, you know, the baseball world, coaching world is so close, and everybody knows somebody. All right? So, you know, you may get a phone call or a text that says, hey, I overheard that so-and-so at this other school said this about your program. All right. Um, now, I say baseball has its way of working things out. Um, but, you know, negative recruiting, um, I don't know many schools that do it, to be honest with you. Um, there's true things that about other programs um, that better said when it does come to recruiting. Um but, you know, nothing ever negative, really, as far as I know. Um, but, yeah, if, if you're a coach that has to, you know, bring up another program during a recruiting pitch, if you have a recruit on campus, that probably says that you're not too secure that you're going to, you know, get that recruit without having to badmouth other, other programs. Um, so with that um, – you know, you probably have to do a little bit better on the recruiting trail, um, or you know, you got to sell your program a little bit better. Have you ever been in a situation where you have you've had a a recruit visiting your school, whichever you know, regardless of what school it was, and just say, "Hey, I I've heard this about your program. You know, another school told me about this." Um, and just some examples, like I've been through that as a I, I know. You know, early in my career, I was uh, my second job in college was as a, a, I'm sorry, a junior college recruiting coordinator. And uh, my head coach out at that time taught me a lot, a lot of things that still stick with me today. And, uh, you know, one of the things we dealt with there is in the league that we were in, there was there was negative recruiting. You know, kids would go, they'd visit two, three, four schools in our conference. Uh and kind of make their choice between those three or four schools. And and we were, it seemed like, sometimes the only school that wasn't negatively recruiting and wasn't, like, bad-mouthing either, you know, the way we develop pitchers or, um, you know, just, like, the structure of the staff or how much they travel or, like, the makeup of our team. You know, just as an example, um, you know, we, we didn't recruit many local guys. We recruited guys from kind of all over the country and even outside the country. We all we would have international players. We'd have Latin players on our team. And other teams would even find ways to talk about that. Um, and, and like you said, I think that sometimes that just speaks to the amount of confidence that these schools have in their own programs. But if you were to, if you were to, to encounter something like that, 
with a student athlete that came on campus and said, hey, I've heard this about you guys. What's, what's your reaction as a head coach to that? Yeah, honestly, man, I, I've never had that happen. Um, but, if you know, I would be like, hey, if it, you know, if it was a true thing, I'd probably say, hey, this is what we do here. Um, but, no, I've never had that um, come up. So, I honestly, I don't know how I, how I would handle it. Um, but, no, I've never had a recruit um, – you know, come on a visit and say, coach, before we even get started, um, is any of this true? Um, but also you got to think if I'm a recruit, uh, I'm taking visits, um, knowing that, Hey, this is a possibility of me going to this school. All right. Um, you know, um, recruits are taking visits just for the heck of it, you know, it just, Hey, I have this weekend off. Let me go see this school. You know, hopefully if I'm a high school recruit or prospective student athlete, you know, and I do take a visit, it's because I have that school as one of my choices. I want to talk about something else about recruiting that, um, that, that you kind of touched on really briefly was, just about, I guess, burning bridges on the recruiting side of things. You know, there are so many kids in the transfer portal. It's um, it's it's not it's not a good look for college baseball or or any sport really. Just how many kids are transferring and at the rate that transferring is happening. Um, and there are many many times when a school or, or when a when a prospective student athlete, you know, he visits a handful of schools. He maybe visits some Division twos, some Division ones. Ultimately, ends up committing to the Division one. And it's not a good experience there. And he wants to transfer after a year or two somewhere where he's going to play, somewhere that uh, you know that that he's going to be able to play maybe the position he wants or be in a more prominent role. Is there a right way to say no as a student athlete to where a year or two later you can call a coach back and say, hey, you know, you guys were – really up there in my choices and I made the wrong choice by going to this program. I look back at it now and realize I should have been coming to your place. You know, I, I really would like to come there if you have an opening. Is is there a right way for a, a recruit uh, to, to say no to you so that a year or two down the road, if they need to transfer that, uh, that, that you're open to that and you have, and you're, you know, you're not, uh, you're not closed off to it because he's already said no to you once. Yeah, man, honestly, yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think there is, you know, a right way. You know, on, obviously, when a coach is on a guy, on a, on a recruit, and he feels really good about it, and for one reason or another, they commit elsewhere, you know, that does, you know, hurt a little bit as a coach. Um, but the best way to do it, man, is, hey, if I'm a recruit and I've got it down to two or three schools, um when you do commit to another school, reach out to every single coach that was on you pretty hard and recruiting you pretty hard and say, coach, thank you for everything. Um, I think it's best for me and my family, you know, that we go to this school. Um, and, and then, you know, coach, nothing against you. You know, I think the, the world of you, um, thank you for everything. Um, best of luck to you and your team this year. That's as a coach, you know, that speaks volumes on a kid's character, especially at 18 years old. You know, I'm, I'm still young. I'm only 26. So I remember eight years ago when I was being recruited. Um, and, I, you know, I told uh, Marshall University, I told him no. Um, 
And you know, I called him and I said, hey, coach, I, I've decided to commit to USC Aiken. And, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't take it very well. Um, but, yes, for a recruit, there are, there, there's obviously a right way to do it. Because who knows what could happen at that school um, that you do commit to. Or, you know, who does know with the way this coaching world changes too, you know, you may tell a coach at Southern Wesleyan no, well, then in three months, you may still be uncommitted, and he may have another job out of Division One. And here's what, you know, I see happening and other coaches see happening, and they tell me this too. Hey, Coach, uh, I saw that you got that new job out of Division One. you know, just reaching out again. That's not the right way to do it, obviously. You know, because all that tells us as a coach is, Hey, just because it says Division One by my name, that's the only reason you're reaching out. I'm the same coach that I was in Division Two, that I will be at a Division One, um, but all because it says Division One by my school's name. That's the only reason you're reaching out to me. It's a great point. Yeah, that's in the the coaches moving around in the coaching world is a huge thing. You know, even if you don't intend it that way, like chances are especially if you end up coaching even after you're not playing, but even during your, your playing career, like you're, you're going to experience probably some turnover on your coaching staff. And, uh, you know, if you're a junior college player, you end up going off to a four-year school, you know, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to encounter people that, that recruited you, even if you're playing, you know, across the field from them. So, I, you know, obviously treating people with respect and, and trying to do it the right way, uh, it carries a lot of weight, I think, as you go on in your career as a player, and particularly if you end up coaching like, you know, you got into the coaching world, and I'm sure you see coaches now that recruited you or, or whatever, and uh, hopefully they you know, hope they remember you in a positive light when that happens. Yeah, that, that's correct, man. You know, you, you always want to uh, be viewed as a positive way. You know, not everybody's going to see you in a positive light. Um, but for the most part, you, you know, and I tell our guys this, you know, nobody's going to remember – 30 years from now, the type of baseball player you were. Now, obviously, if you hit 30 home runs one year and hit the walk-off home run in the World Series, yeah, they'll probably remember that. But for the most part, they're going to remember the type of teammate you were. You know, were you a guy that on a day when they were feeling down, did you come say, hey, you know, what's going on, man? You know, what you know, what do we need to talk about? Um, stuff like that. And that's the same with coaching um, and, you know, recruits. Like I said, there's a there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. The way not to do it is just not, just not responding at all, all right? Because I can tell you, you know, we have old messages on our phones that, hey, you know, it's Coach Hubbard at Southern Wesleyan. Like what I saw this fall, you know, we're ready to make you an offer. No response. Well, here it is, March and April. Nobody's offered the kid yet, and you get a text from that that, that recruit, and it says, "Coach, uh, you know, just now seeing this." <laughs> you know, obviously that's not true. You, you know, obviously that's not true. Um, and you know, we're not dumb. You know, we we can kind of feel the vibe when it's when it's a phone call or it's a text. You know, um, so we we take hints. You know, if it's you know short messages, you know short replies, it's hey, this kid's probably not interested in coming here. You know, you, you move on, you go from there. Um, but the whole not responding to coaches, that's one way to get crossed off pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that happening. Um, 
<laughs> even in the the post baseball world, it's still funny how that stuff happens sometimes. So, Coach Hubbard, you're on your way to a recruiting trip today. You mentioned earlier that that's a strength for you. I'd love to talk about recruiting with you for a while. When you're going out, uh, or even before you go out, can you kind of talk generally about your recruiting plan? Uh, you've been a recruiting coordinator. You, you've recruited a bunch in the past. You've obviously had a lot of success, uh, especially at East Georgia. You had you know a top five ranked junior college class in the country, according to Perfect Game. When you're putting your recruiting plan together, as far as who you're going to see, can you tell people a little bit about how exactly you do that and structure that? Because there are recruiting events almost every weekend from you know March to October, and multiple events every single weekend. You know, so coaches have to be very organized. How how do you go about organizing your recruiting calendar? Yeah, man. Honestly, um, the, when I was at East Georgia, it was every weekend I was somewhere else. You know, you want the best players, you got to go out there and find them. Okay, that's the best way to get a program going, you know, really quickly is, hey, bring in better players. Um, and that's the same thing right now, you know, where I'm at with Southern Westland. You know, I'm going to bring in really good players. Um, my job is not to bring in guys just to fill out the roster. We don't do that here. You know, we're bringing in immediate impact guys only. And the way to do that is go out there and find them. All right. So, um, you know, we had weights this morning at 9 a.m. with Southern Westland. I had a conference call at 10 a.m. And here I am. It's now 12, but 11 a.m. I was picking up the school car. And now I'm on the road to go see six Georgia junior colleges. Uh, whether or not I find a player today, who knows? But I can tell you this, I'm going to cross, you know, six schools that I've seen this fall off the list that, hey, I saw a guy here, I saw them. You know, I don't need to go see them anymore this fall because I've already seen them. Um, so recruiting man and the way that schools are going to have success, I think, is – Every weekend, you got to be committed to recruiting. You got to be able to recruit. Um, and you know, luckily, well, I say, I say, luckily, you know, I'm I'm 26. I'm young. I only have to worry about myself. You know, no, no wife, no kids, none of that. So the weekends are up to me. You know, whether I want to go drive four hours to see two baseball games. You know, I make that decision. Um, so yes, definitely. You got to get out. You got to recruit. Um, and then the way that I look at the things, you know, with Twitter's a great, you know, I, I love and hate Twitter when it comes to baseball recruiting. Um, but I can tell you this I knew that there was going to be six schools here today. Um, each of those coaches sent me an email with their roster, um, a brief description on every single player, you know, his grades, his stats from last year, if he's going to graduate this spring. Um, you know, where they kind of fit in at the next level. And I'll have those notes today when I'm up here recruiting. And, you know, that kind of helps you say, hey, I think this guy will be a good fit for us. Hey, this guy's probably somebody we're going to have to pass on. Um, but, yeah, it's not as much planning going into the recruiting um, events as you would think. But I know that we need to bring in some outfielders some catchers, and then obviously everybody needs to bring in arms each and every year. Um, so today, like I said, hopefully I see a catcher, hopefully I see a few outfielders, and then everybody's going to have arms. You know, Georgia Junior College 
does a great job with, with baseball. You know, they'll probably be 10, 90 mile an hour arms here today. So when you're now junior college recruiting is a little bit different only because, you know, you can go to a, an event like this where you're going to see six junior colleges and, and you could take six of the worst junior colleges in any particular area. And they're probably still going to be guys there that are, that are pretty good. Uh, to see on the high school side of things, it's a little more cloudy because, uh, and I don't know if you would agree with this or not. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But I think junior, or I'm sorry, high school recruiting, uh, especially in the travel ball circuit, can get very watered down. Um, there are a lot of programs out there that that really, you know, don't do a good job, or, or maybe have five teams, you know, for their 2022 class, and you and maybe you aren't exactly sure which team which of those five teams has good players and which of them has a bunch of guy, a bunch of kids who can't play, but you know, they, they write a check because that happens. That happens in, uh, in, in high school travel ball. Uh, Hunter, when you're going out to watch high school games, like um, I'm sorry, high school travel games during the summer, do you recruit based on where you can see the most teams? Do you recruit on, do you recruit based on where you, you know, where teams geographically fit you, you know, for example, like, if you're in South Carolina, are you trying to see, you know, if you have four tournaments to pick from, are you going to pick the, the, uh, are you going to go to the place that has the most kids that are within, you know, four or five, six hours of you guys, because that's typically how you recruit. For example, are you going to the tournament that has the most teams? Are you going to, uh, are you going to go into the tournament that has the most teams that you're familiar with to try to follow guys and, and see some kids for the second, third and fourth time? Uh, just, just kind of curious is, and I wonder if you can give some insight to parents or even travel coaches out there about how you pick, uh, you know, during high school travel season when there might be five or six tournaments to pick from in a weekend that are within a reasonable drive of you. Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, you know, coaches during the summer, there's some really, really big national tournaments. Um, we're lucky enough to be one of the host sites um, to the Black Bear Tournament. Um, and I think, you know, there's usually 150, 200 teams in that. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest events here in the fall is Jupiter, which is coming up. And, you know, that's a great way to see 400 different teams. Um, so, yeah, you do, you know, I would say I would usually go in um, when I do the high school circuit during the summer to a tournament with – you know, the most teams or even let me let me rephrase that, you know, with Lake Point and East Cobb here in Georgia, you could sit out one location and see four different games. That's very beneficial um, to a coach because, hey, you know, I got to see this kid at 11 o'clock, this kid at 1215. Well, their fields are next to each other. So there you are for the first two innings at the 11 o'clock game. You know, you take five steps to your right, boom, you're already there, you know. So it's all about, um, you know, the coach's preference. You know, I, I personally go to the bigger the bigger events, you know, because usually the bigger events have, you know, better teams. Um, you know, little local tournaments, you're probably not going to see much um, just because it's probably the same four or five teams each and every weekend. Um, and also, you know, locally – you should know what you have there. You know, with an hour radius of your school, you should have, a, you know, a relationship with those high school coaches. Um, you should be able to trust them each and every year to, 
hey, coach, you know, I got a player for you. You stop over here one day this fall or, you know, one day in the spring, and I'll let you take a peek at him. That's good stuff. So when you're going out to recruit, uh, let's stick more on the high school side of things, whereas, you know, junior college players are going to be, uh, you know, more polished when you see them more, much more physically mature than when you're seeing a kid in high school. When you're going out to a high school a high school age event, Hunter, what are some things that you like to see? You know, obviously, let's skip the obvious stuff. You know, a guy throws a, a high school player that's upper 80s or better, obviously is going to stand out. Uh, you know, a guy with, with big-time power at the high school level is obviously going to stand out. But let's go beyond that a little bit and just talk about what kind of tools you like to see, things that when you're on the road, you know, you're, you're taking notes on or you're circling a guy and thinking like, boy, I, I need to get on this guy or I need to follow him a couple more times to see him. What are some things that you are seeing that you like when you are out recruiting? Yeah, man, you know, you know, I tell, I tell people this, um, obviously, or the way I do it, you go see the best player on the field, all right? Usually the best player on the field either plays shortstop, center field, or he's pitching. You know, he may be catcher, but it's right up right up the middle, all right? And the minor leagues, those minor league teams have four shortstops on their infield when it's all said and done, all right? The guy at short's probably your best defender. The guy at third's probably, you know, the second most athletic, probably swings it a little bit. The guy at first was probably a shortstop at one point in his life. But at, at the pro level, he probably can't do that, but he probably swings it very, very well. And the guy at second was probably a shortstop up until pro Bowl. All right. Um, but, yes, you know, you always go and you, you don't really go and look for a specific need per se. But when you're watching a high school game, if, if something stands out and it's like, whoa, that guy is a little bit better than everybody else, he can probably play at the collegiate level. Um, so, um, remind me, uh, you know, again, where we were going with that. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just I wanted to see if you're going out, just maybe some things that stand out to you that maybe aren't the obvious tools. Like if we're talking about hitters or pitchers, um, you know, things that maybe aren't so aren't like – you know, my my mom could go and and watch a game and tell you probably who the best player is on the field or right. or one of the best players. Uh, you know, but but for a good recruiting coordinator, like what are some things that you're seeing that really aren't so obvious that make you circle a guy, make you want to bring a guy in for a visit, make you want to follow a guy and watch him a couple more times? And again, I'm kind of asking this hunter for the, you know, for those high school coaches that are listening to this, that that way they can go back and say to their players, like, hey, you you might not have those standout tools that are going to make you stand out at a showcase, but coaches still like this, this, and this, and you're still going to have a chance to play if you're good at those things. Like, what are some other things that maybe wouldn't stand out at a showcase per se, but when you go see some games, they are going to make you circle a player and, and have interest in recruiting him? Yeah, man, and, you know, once you said that, it was interesting. Yeah, um, obviously, guys that absolutely get after it. Um, you know, the guy whose jersey is completely filthy at the end of the day, he's probably a baseball player. And this goes back to, you know, that original tweet that kind of got me and you connected. Um, there's a difference between people that play baseball and baseball players. All right. 
the more baseball players you have on your team, the better you're going to be. Um, guys that really, really enjoy the game, you know, baseball IQ, you know, always in the right position, you know, um, and when they are, when they're playing somebody that's out of position, you know, they, they embarrass them and, you know, they throw behind them and boom, they're out, you know, that wins ball games. Um, but yeah, you know, so maybe there's some recruits out there that don't have the biggest standout tool set, you know, the ones that you show up to a showcase and, you don't say, oh, you know, that's a ball player. Um, but absolutely getting after it, you know, enjoying being there for sure. Um, and then just being really good at everything. You know, you know, there might be some recruits out there that, hey, I've got one tool. All right. Well, if you have one tool, you know, when you go to these showcases and you're trying to get recruited, show that tool. You know, if you're a big old first baseman, that's probably not the best runner and can't showcase the 60 that well. Obviously, us as college coaches, we know that. We didn't come to watch you, you know, run the 60. The, re- the reason we came to watch you is because we know you're a hitter. All right, so be that hitter. You know, don't get into this idea of, hey, you know, I, I ran a, you know, a 7 eight, 60. okay. Um, when you're playing first base and you hit 12 home runs this year, I don't care if you're on an 8660. Um, your job is to hit, all right? Um, but yeah, if I'm, if you're a, a that may not have the 6'2, 215 build, you know, where you walk into a showcase and you're like, whoa, who is that guy? All right. The, the first hour, and it's like, whoa, 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 what you, coach, what'd you say his name was again? You know, that kid, he's everywhere, you know, out here. You know, he's, he's asking questions. You know, he's asking about programs. Um, he's hustling everything out for sure. You know, when he's doing with a smile on his face, it looks like he really enjoys baseball. That's one way to very easily, you know, get on the map uh, of college coaches. Now, I'm not saying that, that'll get you technically, you know, signed and all that, but I can promise you if you're going out there and you're the first one out of the dugout, you're the first one off the field each and every time, you're always attentive to what your coaches are saying. Coaches do, you know, notice that for sure. And in the recruiting world, you know, there are hundreds of players to to look at and choose from, you know, outside of like power five levels. At the Power Five level, let's you know if, if you take all the the mass of recruits every year and sort of put them in a pyramid of where their talent level is. You know, there's the most talent at the bottom, and at the top there's the least. And, and for most, you know, for most programs in the country, they're recruiting somewhere in the middle, uh, where there are a lot of kids to choose from. If we're being honest, and I think the good programs do a good job of separating two people who have similar talent, but one guy just has certain intangibles that the second guy doesn't have. And those things that you just talked about are such an important part because if you're going to spend four years at a college program and do things like early morning weights and off-season conditioning and having to go to class and having to go to study hall and, and having to do a lot of stuff on your own, you know, academically when your team is on the road and, you know, giving up partying on weekends when, 
maybe other other kids that you know on campus that don't play a sport are, are doing that sort of thing and worried more about their social life like there's a lot that athletes have to go through and if you're going to do that for four years and have the best four years that you can have athletically there's a lot of intangibles that are going to come into play throughout that period of time so it's it's super important i think for programs to recruit that kind of player and i love hearing you say that you know to encourage guys who maybe don't have this really super standout tools to know that there's still a place for them you know, you have to be physically uh, athletically you have to be a certain player to still have a chance but you but your tools can be a little bit below someone else's but the intangibles can still get you to that same level and, and even probably help you to have more success just because you've got those things that are going to be really important for success throughout the next four years yeah I, i'll say one you know one more thing just really quick to talk about on that if it comes down to two recruits that, you know, your coaching staff, you know, really likes both of them. And, you know, one of them, you call his coach and he's like, coach, I'll be honest with you, you know, he's missed a couple of classes. Or, you know, there's some days where you kind of got to He doesn't really give it all in, his, in the weight room. But then you call the other coach and it's like, coach, this one, he's the first one there every day. He's the last one to leave at night. Um, you know, the other day I come down to the field and he's sweeping, sweeping the dugout. Also, coach, he's a 4-0 student. Um, obviously, you're going to take the guy that the coach is like, you know, you can't say enough about him. Um, and it does come down to grades usually too. You know, at the, at the college level, great. And I, I, you know, I was the, uh, the kid in high school that had the, the, the 296 GPA. And looking back on it, you know, now that I'm paying these uh, these student loans, um, if I had had that 3-0, I'd be paying a little less. Um, so for those high school, you know, recruits out there, high school grades do matter. They really do matter. Us, um, I can't speak for but us at Southern Wesleyan, the better your grades are. And that goes for junior college players also. Now, I do, you know, know that some kids, whether it be a freshman in college or a freshman at a, at a high school coach, you know, I'm a, I'm a two seven student, but the last, you know, three years, I've been a three, five student. My first year, I kind of didn't take things serious. And so I know a bunch of kids that are like that. Um, but yes, when it comes down to two recruits, man, um, you're always going to take the guy that you're not going to have to worry about when you when you leave the office at night. Um, hey, coach, I, I'm not, I know you're driving, but we're I, there was a couple spots there where um, where you broke up just a little bit. Hopefully, we have better service going forward. Um, the next question I'd like to ask about recruiting: if if there was if there's one tool that a player has maybe we can talk about pitchers and hitters here but if there's one tool that a guy has maybe he's only got like one one tool that's that you see as as being a a plus tool at, at his level high school level junior college um if there's one tool that you would you like to take a chance on more than others 
Well, well, is is there a tool on the offensive side or on the pitching side? Like, you know, everything is kind of average, but this one tool is above average, and I'm a fan of that tool, so I will take a chance on this guy because he's got this one tool that I like. Does that tool exist for you either for hitters or for pitchers, whereas the the other tools can maybe be behind a little bit, but you think this one tool is so important you'll take a shot on a guy that just has that one tool? Yeah, and that, that's probably the easiest question that you've asked all day. Um, for hitters, man, if the kid absolutely hits, he's going to start somewhere. You know, they make a DH at the college level. You know, pitchers don't hit for themselves. So if you can hit at any level, you're going to find your way into a lineup. And then for pitchers, if you have a strikeout pitch, a pitch that you know you can throw – Oh two one two two two, and it's gonna result in a swing and miss or an out. You know, seventy five eighty percent of the time, that's gonna get you signed. All right. So for hitters, having that true hit tool, because what what coaches are seeing, you know, more and more each day is nobody can hit anymore. Um, and I told you know uh, a travel ball coach the other day, um, in this Jupiter tournament coming up. Everybody down there is going to be throwing 90 miles an hour. All right, so the team with the best hitters is going to end up winning the tournament. If you score five runs or more down in Jupiter, I think you're going to see that team being you know, the tournament champion. Um, but then at, on the pitching side, if you've got a strikeout pitch or a true out pitch that's going to get weak contact and roll over ground balls, you're going to be a very successful collegiate pitcher. When you talk about the hit tool, Hunter, there's so much garbage on social media and, and elsewhere about what hitters are supposed to be now. And, you know, we're in an age now where, um, you know, batting average at the major league level is is something that, that people just don't pay much attention to or, or really don't seem to value that much. And, and I think sometimes that uh, people, when people look at college baseball, they – they like to equate college baseball and major league baseball and say they're sort of the same thing. So what you're seeing in major league baseball is also what you should be seeing in college baseball. That's the kind of perspective from outside of college baseball. But when you talk about a, a, a hitter, a true hitter, guys that can really hit, can you describe what that means to you? What, what does it mean to be a, a true hitter at, at any level of baseball? Yeah. So a true hitter would be a guy that, and you know, I don't know why this is, you know why kids say this, um, but you'll you'll have that team that every ninety mile an hour arm they see they're absolutely tattooing him. Now they're hitting balls off off the, the center field wall, and then they throw in a little lefty that's seventy two seventy four, and they come back to the dugout coach man. He's throwing too slow. I can't hit that guy. That's not a true hitter. A true hitter is a guy that. No matter if it's that little lefty, that 72, 74, spinning a 62-mile-an-hour breaking ball in there, or a righty that's 90, 92 with an 83-mile-an-hour slider, that is just gap-to-gap absolutely hitting. Um, and I don't mean, you know, home runs. Um, it's guys that are just always fighting the barrel. Um, and it, it's tough to find that these days. It really is. But – you can go watch BP and, you know, you'll see a kid that truly, truly tries 
just hit every single ball out there and beat Pete, okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, he may do it. So, obviously, you know, that grabs your attention. But then you go into the game and the kid's 0 for 3 with 3 strikeouts. All right, that'd be a 5 o'clock hitter on a 7 o'clock first pitch. Uh, so, a true hitter is the guy that really has a mature approach. He doesn't get out of his approach. And then you look up in the game, and he's 3 for 4 with 2 doubles and a single. All right, and every time you look up, the kid's also standing on second base. That's a true hitter. Now, I know that your background is in pitching, so I'm going to ask you this on the pitching side as well. You talk about having one, you know, one plus pitch, one pitch that can either generate strikeouts or weak contact on a consistent basis. How much are you, um, how much stock do you put in velocity? You know, for, for your specific level, for Southern Wesleyan University, how much stock are you putting in velocity? And when you're talking about a second pitch, it, do you need to see, you know, uh, if you have, whether your radar gun does it or you or you bring a guy in and, and you, I don't know, he works out or at his facility that he works out in and you've got maybe track men on him or, or whatever. Like, do you need to see certain spin rates or are you just, are, are you still using your eyes and, you're, and letting your eyes tell you, okay, he's throwing that pitch and every time he throws that pitch, he misses bats or he misses barrels. So those two questions there, how much do you, st- do you um, absolutely value velocity and then can you talk about, you know, when to have a second pitch, do you trust your eyes or do you need to see something um, statistically, something analytically that tells you this pitch is pretty good? Yeah, man. Um, honestly, you know, every coach loves guys that are upper 80s, you know, 91, 92. That's awesome. But if that thing is straight as an arrow, anybody, I can set, anybody can hit that. You know, if we know we're facing a guy that's 88, 91, but the fastball does nothing at all, well, I can tell you as a team, we're going to set that machine up, <laughs> 88, 91 the whole week, and we're going to time it up. Hitting a fastball um, is, um, you know, probably, I'm not going to say the easiest thing to do, but um, timing, you know, you just rep, 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 and you're going to, you know, time it up eventually. Um but the breaking ball is the one that gives people fits. All right. You know, um, that's why BP is also, you know, different compared to, um, real games. Um, they're not throwing breaking balls and changeups during BP. Um, but yeah, as an out pitch, um, no, I don't need to see the, you know, the spin rate, none of that stuff. I'm not an analytics guy. Um, but I can tell you if the batter, swings and almost falls over or his knees buckle as the pitch comes in, the pitch is probably good. You know, it's probably doing something that the batter did not like. And then, you know, going back to it, no, you know, we don't recruit strictly off below because, you know, we, we, uh, we face some teams in this conference that, you know, they've got a guy that's 83, 85, but he'll start on the black. And he'll nibble and get, you know, one ball off, two balls off, and he'll just live there the whole game. And he look up in the sixth inning, and he's 60 pitches in, and he's got one hit. You know, we've got one hit off of it. Uh, so, no, I do not think below is the end-all, be-all of pitching. Um, because I do know there's, you know, hundreds of guys in minor league baseball that throw 100 miles an hour, and three years later, four years later, 
they are unemployed and don't have jobs because they can't hit the broad side of a barn. Um, so, you know, if there's an 86, 88 mile hour arm that can really locate, he's definitely better than the 90, 92 guy that can't. You know, I tell our guys, look, 88 to 91, that's the same pitch. 92 to 94, that's the same speed. You know, 95 and above, that's when we're talking about really, really hard fastballs. We talked a little bit. We, we've talked quite a bit about what things that you like. I'd like to just ask you in the last few minutes of the of our podcast. I've got a couple questions for you if we have time for them. Uh, but this, the the next question: What are some things that, besides a lack of pure talent, what are some things that you don't like when you go recruiting? Whether we're talking junior college or high school, what are some honest to you know honest God actual things that you will go see at a at an event and you will cross a guy off? You know, outside of his baseball ability, this okay. So you see a guy who's got the physical tools to play for you, but what are some things that you will see that will make you cross a guy off of your list? Yeah, man. Um, one is if your parents bring you a Gatorade to the dugout, that does not need to happen. Um, obviously, um, if you you fly out to left field and when the ball's caught, you haven't even touched first base yet. That's one really good way to get crossed off. Um, if I'm, you know, texting a kid and, hey, man, you know, I saw you today. I know you didn't have the best outing, but I still liked, you know, the stuff. And the response is, man, coach, you know, the umpire, you know, he was, it was the umpire today. He was just squeezing me. And then when I was making good pitches, my defense let me down. You know, I, I cannot stand that, to be honest with you. You know, I can't stand a pitcher that puts the blame somewhere else. You know, in baseball, we know, I've been around this game 20 years now, umpires aren't very good. I've never seen a good umpire, to be honest with you. I watch, <laughs> I watch the Braves every night, and I think those guys suck too. Um, so, you know, I, one way to get crossed off of a list is to make an excuse for everything, um, for sure. And then, you know, uh, showing up, in sandals or, you know, being the guy that's trying to be too flashy, you know, taking, putting too much effort in the way he looks than the way he's going to play for sure. Also, if, you know, it's a, a summer game, I know there's not much time um, in between games, but if, if you're an 8 o'clock in the morning game, it's usually the first game of the morning, and you're getting there at 7.55, you don't care about that game. You should have been there at the latest 7.15. And I know, you know, some kids can't control, you know, because they're not the ones driving. Uh, but, yeah, get there at 8 o'clock game. Get your BP rounds in. Get your stretching. Get your throwing in. And 8 o'clock, you know, you're ready to, you know, get between those lines and, you know, be a baseball player for the day. Um, but, yeah, it's all about the intent of wanting to be there and then being babied. Um because at the next level, you ain't going to be having mommy and daddy, you know, bring you a Gatorade, um, telling you, hey, it's okay. Um, so stuff like that will get you crossed off, you know, immediately. That was an easy one for you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about the Gatorade thing. And it's not that, not that I don't agree with you, but I've seen it. I, I, you know, you see it on social media from time to time, and you're obviously not the only guy that feels that way. But for somebody who's listening to this that doesn't quite get – 
the thing about mom and dad bringing a Gatorade to the dugout. You know, what's the, what's the big deal about that? Why why is that something that you don't care to see as a coach when you're recruiting guys? You know, uh, it, it just means that, let's say, you know, that they, the parents brought them a Gatorade for one reason and one reason only. That means the kid, you know, thought it was a good idea to, you know, signal for mom and dad during the game and, hey, I, I need a Gatorade. You know, and it just goes into preparation. You know that you're going to play for two hours today. Obviously, you need to bring Gatorades, you know, to the field, um, water to the field. But it, it's just a bad look. And then it also goes into, you know, me thinking at the at the college level, hey, if his mom and dad is bringing him a Gatorade during the game and nobody says, hey, we, we don't do that, where – what if we're playing in, you know, the first week of February and I look up in the third inning and there's mom beside the dugout with a Gatorade, you know? So it's better to say, hey, that does not need to happen and, you know, nip, nip it in the bud already and, you know, just kind of get rid of it um, early as we can. It's a great point. And, and hopefully coaches that are listening to this see the significance of that, of just, you know, the preparation of it and the, and the players being able to um, – to prepare, you know, on their own and, 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 and not have to, I guess, rely on mom and dad to take care of them. I think it's something, it goes along the lines of, you know, with parents carrying in equipment bags to the field. I've heard guys say that as well. And I'm sure that's, um, I would imagine it's on your list as well, but if mom and dad are carrying your equipment bag, like it's time to grow up when you're at, if you're at an age where you can be recruited, it's time to grow up and, and, and take some responsibility for yourself, at least like for this game. In fact, I just saw a tweet last night and I wish I could remember who it was from um, that, you know, you, you're going to baseball practice today and you, and you forgot your, you're a catcher and you forgot your cup. And at the end of the tweet was, I bet you didn't forget your phone. So like you got to prioritize when you're, when you're playing and, and practicing, like what, what's most important today. And if your phone's the most important thing and you forget your bat or your glove or your cup or your hat, like, uh, you know, obviously your priorities aren't maybe where they need to be that day. That's correct. That is 100% correct. <laughs> One last question here, Coach Hubbard, and then I'll I'll uh, I'll let you go for today and get your get your mind on, ready to recruit. I want to talk really briefly about a uh, a situation that I've I've actually just been kind of helping a family with recently. There there is a family that uh, I have a good relationship with the dad. The kid is I, I believe uh, I think he's in the fall of junior year in high school, and uh, he's a good player. I think he's going to end up being a good a good college player. Dad ran track in college. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're a good family. I think they're doing things the right way, but they come to me and ask me questions about the recruiting process when they're, they're not sure about things just because the dad knows my background. The dad has been asking me recently about showcases. So when the kid got the kid's a switch hitter, he's got some pop in his bat. Um, and, and the dad has basically said when the kid goes to showcases, he tries to maybe do a little too much, maybe be something he's not, you know, he, he does have some pop in his bat, but sometimes like all he's worried about after he goes to a perfect game showcase and afterward, all he's really worried about, you know, how far he hit the ball in BP. Did he, did he hit a couple balls off the wall? Did he hit a ball over the wall? And I've said to the dad, like, I just, you know, I, I, this is what I believe that your son needs to do during BP, but without saying kind of what I think, I'd like you to interject a little bit and just, maybe give some advice 
to kids that are going through the recruiting process because it can be a, a very hectic time. It can be a very confusing time for families going through the recruiting process. When kids go to showcases, Hunter, do you do you have any advice as to like what they should be trying to do? What they should be, you know, what should a kid do in BP? You know, a kid that maybe has a little bit of power, but his real game is to, you know, in a, in a he's a guy that's going to hit for high average and hit the ball to all fields. Should he be doing that in BP, or should he be trying to hit pull side home runs to show you what kind of raw power he has? You know, if a guy, if a pitcher is going to a showcase and he's not a guy that his velocity is going to truly, truly stand out, should he be trying to show you more secondary stuff? and be trying to locate his fastball, or should he be trying to throw the ball as hard as he can, trying to touch the highest number that he can in the radar gun and not really worry about where the ball's going? And that's a legit question. Like, what do you want to see as a coach when you're going to a showcase from guys who, you know, maybe don't have, again, tools that really, really stand out, but it's a showcase where you're there to showcase your skills and your and your raw ability. You know, your, your measurables. Like, what do you want to see from a guy who is, uh, you know, that guy that's sort of in the middle of the pack tools-wise when he's at a showcase? Should he be trying to show you the max tool that he has, the max velocity, the max power? Or should he just go and be himself and let you see him for who he is and see that, hey, this guy, he's got okay power, he's got okay velocity, but I thought he did a good job throwing the ball where he wanted, and he showed me good secondary stuff. Or, hey, this hitter, like, he's got he's got okay power, but, I mean, he was hitting, he was squaring every ball up in BP and hitting the ball to all fields, hitting the ball where it was pitched. I'm impressed by that. Like, what, what do you want to see from guys in a showcase setting that maybe have that sort of middle, those middle-of-the-road type of measurable tools? Yeah. Um, honestly... You know, hopefully they're getting, you know, two rounds of BP at these showcases. Um, the first round, you know, you want to kind of, as a recruit, you, you want to show these coaches, you know, who you are as a hitter, whether that be gap to gap or, you know, um, backside guy, guy that can, you know, hit and run, all that good stuff. Um, but your second round, you know, go in there absolutely trying to, you know, hit the ball over the fence. Um same thing that I would say with pitchers. I know the showcases that I've worked, you know, I usually control the bullpens, um, and it's about a 15, 16 pitch bullpen, and the first 12, 13 pitches, you know, it, you know, show me who you are as a pitcher. You know, show me your three pitches, and then those last three, we're going to really, really, you know, try to hit a number. Okay? So, you know, as a hitter, you want to have you that approach, you know, your approach, your first round. And then if you can't hit some balls out, that second round, totally try to do that. Try to be that full side guy. You know, show a coach you can hit for a little bit of power. And, the, you know, the same thing as, as in the pitching guy. Um, show me who you are as a pitcher. And then when I ask you, hey, can you, you know, show me a number right here? Don't be afraid to do it, you know. So that that's what I would say to answer that question. I think it's really good advice, both for pitchers and hitters. You know, and you hope that you hope that showcases give kids enough uh, time to have two rounds of BP. Um, one thing I can say that I don't think showcases do a very good job of is when there are switch hitters. A lot of times they get one round from each side, which makes that maybe more difficult. But if you're a right-handed hitter, left-handed hitter only, 
I think it's tremendous advice and for pitchers as well. If you've got, if you, you know, you have 15 pitches, those last couple pitches, really let it eat, try to hit a number. And before that, you know, show, show people what you have. Obviously, if you can go out and throw a 94 mile an hour fastball, just do that a couple times and you're in good shape. But if you're that high school pitcher who's like 82 to 85, you know, you've got to show a little bit of both. Um, this is Hunter Hubbard, everybody. He is the recently named head coach at Southern Wesleyan University, a Division II program in Central South Carolina. Uh, Hunter, I certainly appreciate your time, man, and appreciate all the all the info you gave, and and uh, you know just taking the time today to to tell people a little bit about who you are in your program and and how you do things and how you recruit everything else we talked about. Yes, sir, Jeff. Thank you. Um, hopefully, we can do this again and go Warriors.